Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of Better Off. On today's podcast, we're talking about college and how you can get the biggest bang for your college buck. We're joined by Caitlin Mulhair of Money Magazine. You can round out what you study in college with classes that will help you, whether it's a minor or not, or just adding a few classes. And then all you need to be able to do is demonstrate those skills when you get your internship or your first job. And, you know, you don't have to major in something to be able to say that you have those skills. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Okay, one of the biggest expenses that you are going to have to absorb is paying for college, whether it's for yourself, for your kids. And how do you know how to make that money pay you dividends for the rest of your life? We have moved well beyond the idea that you need a college education. Everybody gets that. But how can you weigh one college versus another? You're not going to go to the outdated U.S. News and World Report. Let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go to money.com and check out the best colleges for your money in 2017. We're joined by Caitlin Mulhair. She's a reporter at Money, where she writes about higher education. Caitlin will walk us through what goes into the rankings and some of the surprise institutions that end up on these lists. So right now, our interview with Caitlin Mulhair of Money. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Caitlin Mulhair. Welcome to Better Off. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So uh, we're going to talk about the overall best colleges and all that that goes into this. But of course, on the program, every single time we start the show and the interview, we have a very big question for you. Okay. And since you're a journalist, um, I'm going to make this not a career question. I'm going to make it a different question. I'm going to say, Caitlin, what's the best money decision you've made? so far in your very young life? Ooh, the best money decision. I I should be good at answering this because we also ask guests similar questions, but um, I think it would be a relatively recent one. I've uh, Since I started working at Money, um, it comes with the territory. You've had to be a lot, I've had to be a lot smarter about setting aside my savings before I spend any money. So I have um, like automatic deposits into an emergency fund and my retirement savings before I can spend it on fun things. That's awesome. You got that automatic savings plan going. You're rocking mm-hmm. and rolling. Yeah. All right. So far, so good. Only up from here. Okay. How long has money done the analysis, its own proprietary analysis of the college landscape? So we actually, money had a college rankings like two decades ago, maybe right. late 80s, 90s. Um, and then suspended it. I don't I wasn't there then. I don't know the reason. Yes, because you weren't born. <laughs> but uh, this is our fourth year of the current iteration. And what's interesting about this, I feel like the the money rankings, this is a really important response to, say, the the sort of standard bear, which is the U.S. News and World Report methodology, because essentially the big complaint about that was that it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that that in fact because of the way they compiled their data it gave you kind of this skewed outcome so first start by explaining what is the methodology behind the way that money determines the best colleges for your money in 2017 sure so uh, my colleague 
Kim Clark is the one who designed uh, much of Money's methodology, and she was really driven to do something that the other rankings, um, including U.S. News and World Reports, did not do at the time. More of them have started since um, since we started doing it, but so she really wanted to focus on affordability and outcomes. Uh, most of the other rankings looked at you know educational quality, reputation. Um, some other things that people like <laughs> squishy qualitative crap that right. no one cares about, essentially. Right. So um, in in the year since now, it's really really common to talk about the return on investment of college degrees. But when uh, when we first started doing this, there weren't any rankings that did that. When you look at the the investment of college, I know that that you guys at Money have written extensively about this. That that essentially. A college degree is really going to be your passport to earning more money in your lifetime. But very recently, let's say in the last more like decade or so, what we've been grappling with is that people are graduating with so much debt that while they may be making more during their work lives, they also have to make more just to service that debt. Right. So does does that factor into the rankings? It does, yes. So uh, we basically split up our, our rankings into three factors. One is educational quality, um, which the most important thing is graduation rate in that category. And next is affordability. And that's where we measure um, student debt, but also the net price, um, which is can be a little confusing at first. If people haven't looked at colleges or shopped at colleges, you maybe have just heard about those sky high, um, like $60,000 sticker prices. But the reality is very few students pay that. So it's more helpful to look at what the, the average student pays, or, or you can even use um, the net price calculator on individual colleges to see what you know a student like you or like your family might pay. And then, um, so student debt is in that affordability. And then the last one uh, relates to the, to the career and the, and the earnings. We we look at outcomes. So how much you make a few years out of college and then also 15 years out of college. How do you account for the fact that, like, if you go to, I'm going to make this up because I don't really know, but if you go to more of a technical school, people are graduating with, say, engineering or STEM degrees versus a standard liberal arts education where some people may may or may not go into those higher earning mm-hmm. fields. So how can you standardize that? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of our 20 plus factors is also earnings adjusted by majors. So we control for what the, the majority of students or what students are most likely to study at that school. And so you do still see the tech heavy schools perform well. But I think one thing that's really unique and helpful with ours is you can look at among all the tech heavy schools, you can look at which if you control for their for their majors, which are kind of outperforming or doing better than the others. So last year and maybe even the year before, it's so boring. Princeton comes <laughs> yeah. in number one. I like I could be like, oh, I know, Princeton. I know. All my colleagues are always like, again, like, give us something new. <laughs> so I mean, okay, so estimated price without aid. Let me just give you these numbers because it's mm. so wild. Sixty five grand. Right. Okay, mind blowing right there. Now, the estimated price with the average grant, 19300 You've got some fraction of Princeton students who are paying that full sixty-five grand. Like what percent? It says here, percent with need who get grants. So if you have need, you're going to get grants. So that's obviously you're going to get a grant. Yeah. But what percentage of the student body at a place that charges sixty or sixty-five grand is paying that full price? And guesstimate. Overall, it's less than 40%. 60% of students at private schools get some sort of tuition discount. Something. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to go through this. So it says, you know, 65 grand, you get a grant, it's more like 19 grand. And so that's not particularly surprising to me. None of that is surprising to me. But number two was totally surprising (laughs) to me, blew my mind, and I was like so psyched. 
So at number two, CUNY, the city of the uh, City University of New York, Bernard Baruch College comes in at number two. What the heck? It's half the price, mm-hmm. 31 grand. Um, the price with a grant drops down to just under 10 grand, 9,800 bucks. Wow. Yeah. This was a shocker. What happened here? Yeah. So this is one of the things we love, or I can only speak for myself, that I love about the way money does uh, our rankings is that we're definitely going to see, you know, the MITs, the Princetons, the Yales of the world because they are phenomenal schools. They're going to they're going to perform well. But we also see a lot of public schools in our top 50, top 25. Um, and this year, our number two school was CUNY. Last year, it was University of Michigan. So those are two two years in a row where we've had a public university up at the top. With CUNY in particular, we added some new data this year that measures basically economic mobility. So it's based off a new data set from a Stanford economist named Raj Shetty. And it measures the so it measures a couple things, but the the one that we used is that looks at how many um, students from the bottom quintile, bottom income quintile, are admitted, and then of those ones who are admitted and attend, how many of them, when they graduate and go on to become in their thirties, roughly, how many of them make it to the top income quintile? So that's it's interesting. Really measuring that sort of American dream, upward mobility that we all hope that colleges are providing for the country, and CUNY does phenomenally on this. It's one of the best rates in the country. It's better than all the Ivy League schools combined because if you get into an Ivy League school, you can reach that upper income quintile, but getting in from the bottom income quintile, sorry, it's like a tongue twister, is really difficult at those elite schools. And what's also fascinating is that if you go to a place like a Baruch, uh, that you are maybe being around that environment, or maybe if you're a city kid and you're used to that, maybe that makes you more likely to stay in because it is one thing to get into one of these elite schools. It's another thing to stay in because I know that at my alma mater, there's been big efforts to like, well, why do we lose some of these people, these kids who come in and somewhere over the course of the four years, they're not making it through right. and they're transferring out or maybe they miss their, or maybe it's too drastic a change. Who knows? But this speaks to something that's really interesting. I love that mobility one because I think that's really what we're all trying to figure out. Like, how do we get to the next place? Also on the list, City University, public. University of Michigan public, although not if you're out of state. Right. <laughs> so thanks for all of you out Even of state. Even as a public, it's very hard right. to get into University exactly. of Michigan. Yeah. Berkeley, UCLA. I'm just trying to see if there's anything else here. What were the other ones? Anything else that surprised you on the list? Oh, I'll tell you what surprised me, which was hysterical. Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. Why? My dad went there, which is odd for a Jew in the 50s to Mm -hmm. go to Washington and Lee. I said, why on earth did you go there? He's like, I knew a guy who went there and he said that they were like pretty girls on the next campus. That was it. (laughs) Like that was the reason he went. So how does a little tiny liberal arts school like that end up on the list? Yeah. So it is, if not our top, one of our top ranking liberal arts colleges, it has a really generous aid policy. So that helps it out on the affordability side. It also does decently well on that socioeconomic mobility. And then I think, though I haven't looked at the stats in a few weeks, but I I believe their um, alumni report higher than average salaries, especially compared to other liberal arts colleges. FYI, my school is so not in the top 10. It's (laughs) not in the top 20. I uh, ring it in at number 34, Brown University. Uh, 34 is not too That's that's, terrible. It's still in the top 50. (laughs) That is an embarrassment. That is a grave embarrassment. I wonder, my guess is the reason why 
that Brown may not have done well is it's not a, an incredibly well endowed school. So the, the grants and scholarships are not as rich as everyone else in the Ivy League. Right. Yeah. Brown and Cornell, I think, offer less generous grants than right. others. And also, I wonder if maybe the earnings isn't so hot. The graduates of Brown do report lower salaries than other Ivy League graduates. They're still higher, much higher than average, but that is that's one of the reasons why they're not in you know the top ten or the top twenty like the others. Okay, so then you've got some specialty rankings, which also I love. Mm-hmm. So you did best public colleges, which is obviously like the CUNY Bernard Baruch College is going to be number one since yep. it was number two. Michigan as well, but this is for your in-state person, yes. right? So you're yes. going to blow up the whole model if you're out of state and try to get into Berkeley, which is like going to be highly... Very hard. Right, yeah. hard to do, right? Any big names that popped out to you on this list, including your alma mater in the top 10? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was happy to see that. Um, well, one thing I think you can't ignore is that there's what UC Berkeley, UCLA, UC Riverside, UC Irvine. It's yep. like there's like all universities. Right? Yeah, it's so amazing. The, the University of California um, campuses do really well. Um, they're comparatively affordable. They also re- perform well with that um, letting in like a, a more diverse class, lower socioeconomic status students and helping them actually graduate and get jobs. Mm. Um, and then they report high salaries, which part of another thing we can't quite control for yet is that, you know, a lot of students, I think, who attend public universities do tend to stay in state when they graduate. So people who live in California do earn higher salaries than somebody in like the South. So that might explain for some of it. But there's still really great value colleges. How do you take into account the stuff of like, oh, they have a really nice facility. Does that play into it? Because I feel like that's the mudginess of these things. Like, oh, yeah, they've got a nice dining hall. There's great food at Bowdoin or something. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you listened to that Malcolm Gladwell um, episode of Revisionist History, which was great. It's like they have a beautiful dining room and they give really rotten financial aid. You do not account for that stuff. We don't. No, we don't look at anything about facilities or how much they're spending. I mean, in, in some cases, that's not, you know, in some cases, it's good for colleges to be spending to update labs or, you know, make the dorms a little bit more livable or or things like that or improve their technology on campus. But that's not something we include in our rankings at all. We also don't include um, reputation. I know some some colleges look at how presidents and professors at other campuses would evaluate their college. That's not something we consider at all. We do include we we have write ups of all of our colleges, and if if a campus is known to be a fun you know party scene, we'll include that because it is ultimately when you're you know these are should are a great starting point for students when they're looking at colleges. Eventually, you will need to to look at some of that more squishy stuff to find which of the good colleges that you've identified, hopefully from our list and others, you might actually be happy living on from a culture standpoint. This is better off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our conversation with Money's Caitlin Mulhare in just a minute. She's talking about doing some homework. And boy, you better be doing your homework when it comes to college because you're going to spend a boatload of money. You're just going to have to suck it up, whether you're doing it yourself, whether you're a parent and you're doing it for your kid. It's a lot of money. But you got to really do some research. You got to research how you're going to manage the money that you're not spending on college. Good news for you, because I've done the research and our sponsor, Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor, has done a lot to help people manage their money. Here's some of the things that I found out from my research about Betterment. 
Betterment takes advanced investment strategies and it uses technology to deliver them to the customer. Hey, that's you. That's amazing. Betterment's got low transparent advisory fees, especially when you compare that to traditional services at other brokerage firms. And tax efficiency. Are you investing outside of a retirement account? This is so important. And one more thing about Betterment, they've got your back. That's the thing that's so important. You want to know you're working with an organization that has you in mind. So start your research by checking out Betterment. Better Off listeners can get up to six months managed free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash Better Off. Betterment, rethink what your money can do. And now back to our interview with Caitlin Mulhair. I like that you have best colleges where more than half of applicants get in. So it's not yeah. like you're only putting these things that are like, oh, my God, it's so hard to get in. Yeah. What is the value added all-star list? What is that all about? Yes. Yeah. So this is our this list always drives us a little bit crazy. We love it, but it's very hard to explain in, in like a concise title. Take but your time. It's a podcast. We're <laughs> okay, not in broadcast great, great, radio. Great. Um, so the value added all-star is one of um, a, along with the graduation rates and the um, you know, affordability metrics and earnings outcome metrics, we look at what colleges do better than their peers. And so we measure that on a on a variety of things. But um, we look at the academic background. So basically the SAT and ACT scores of students who are admitted and then the income background. So the socioeconomic, which is the percentage of Pell Grant students, which is usually used as, you know, a look at the, the low income students on, on campus. The Pell Grant is a federal grant for families earning roughly less than $40,000 a year. When you control for those, then we look at the graduation rate. And so some colleges that have seems to be a very low graduation rate, when you look at their value-added graduation rate, it's actually significantly higher than other colleges who are admitting the same types of students. So that's what we really want to look at with that value add. So we look at that for graduation rate, for um, student debt repayment rates, and also for earnings. What's amazing is that this is such a diverse group of names on this list, right? So of course, Turo College in New York, I shouldn't say of course, because I saw that on another list, but there it is again. Mount St. Mary's University in LA, which is 57 G's, the Otis College of Art and Design, Babson College in Wellesley, uh, you know, like all over the place, St. Mm-hmm. Aquinas College. I mean, all the they are all over the place. So this is kind of a fascinating melange it is, of, yeah. of, of schools. I, yeah. I'm actually intrigued by this. So you're a recent grad. I'm going to say That's that nice. rec- recent <laughs> yeah. How has this process changed now that you've covered it from going through it? Oh, it's totally different. If I if I only knew what I know now, what would then, you do differently? <laughs> what would you? Do? I mean, you went um, you to know, a state school. Yeah, yeah. So that so was I, smart. There's there's a very large chance I probably would have still ended up attending the University of Florida. It's a great school. It's really affordable. Um, you get out with little debt. You get a job. It's you know has a national reputation. It's everything that you'd check off for like a, a big public school. But at the time, I was really focused on like, well, I want to go to school outside of Florida, and I want to go to like a pretty leafy campus. I mean, I, I you cringe like when I think about it. Yeah, no, no, because it's like I saw Goodwill Hunting <laughs> yeah, and really or the, something like that, or yeah, I want to yeah. see. Right, okay. Did, did you drive your parents crazy? Well, they indulged me. I mean, we went on a, a tour and looked at um, Duke and <laughs> University of North Carolina and some some other colleges and like the not not too far north, but but there was always like the well, you know, it's much cheaper in state and, and Florida also has um, a lottery funded scholarship that pays for a significant portion of tuition 
tuition. So on, on top of lower prices, you get most of your tuition covered. Um, Vanderbilt was my number one school and I didn't get in. So that, <gasps> that kind of made my decision oh, for me. How dare that? I know, I know. But I think in the long run, looking back, it's probably a good thing because I... I would have been one of those students who was too tempted to take on way too much debt to go, you know, to a school that I couldn't afford when I had a, a perfectly good, affordable option available. I mean, that's the thing. You have, not even like perfectly good, a really yeah, good, great right? One. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the thing, you have best colleges for business majors. Mm-hmm. Um is that because you're Money Magazine or because people ask for that? What? Why is that? Uh, well, both. It's one. I mean, it, it is a popular list. When we when we post that online, we can see it gets a lot of traffic. But also, business is is uh, one of the most popular, if not the single most popular major on campuses today. So, really? Yeah. What a waste. Yeah. Well, it's a very general. I mean, you can do a lot with a business degree, I suppose. Really? But, uh, can you get a job? Well, hopefully, <laughs> if you attend if you attend these colleges, the best the best business colleges, you should be able to. Um, yes and no. I am like. I'm a bad person about this. I just think that, okay, fine, you want to be, you know, an econ major, but what is a business major, really? I mean, you could be a liberal arts major, get a well-rounded education, take mm-hmm. stats and take econ 101 and, like, take three classes. In my mind, you, you are journalism, right? Yeah. So, in my mind, if you can take a statistics class take an economics class and take an accounting class. That's it. Like all that other nonsense marketing, but what a bunch of baloney because like you're going to get out, you're going to get your job. You probably know more about marketing working in an industry that is contracting than anyone could have gotten in four years of college. So there, I'm on my soapbox about that. Okay. Well, I won't say one one way or the other what, you know, the value of a business degree, but I will say you bring up a really important point, which is that you can round out what you study in college with with classes that will help you, whether it's a minor or not, or just adding a few classes. And then all you need to be able to do is demonstrate those skills when you get your internship or your first job. And, you know, you don't have to major in something to be able to say that you have those skills. Let's go to the part of this whole survey that I love, which is called Build Your Own. Yes. This is unbelievable. We love that part. Okay. So, so by the way, everyone, just go to money.com, best colleges, and you can build your own rankings because you can pick your region of the country, your school size, majors, mm-hmm. and then also it says focus on schools where you're an academic fit. That's kind of great. And then you can basically walk into your first appointment with your college advisor at school mm-hmm. and have something in your back pocket. Tell me about some of the feedback you get from this, from this whole issue which is a physical issue as well as the online version of it. It's really wide ranging. I mean, we hear from some colleges who are really curious to know more about our data and for the most part are happy. Sometimes they they disagree with some of the stuff we do, but that's always fine. It's helpful to hear both positive and and critical feedback because then that, you know, that helps us to improve it in future years. We hear from high school teachers who love this. Um, they, They tell their students to look at it. I know some high school teachers personally, and I'm always like sending it their way and, and asking their feedback if, if it's something that they think is helpful. And we hear a lot from parents who have used it to start building their lists. So on this list, um, as we talk about this, people will realize there's no um, for profit institutions on this no. list. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of our, our very first screen is that um, we only include uh, four year public colleges and not for profit private colleges. And so this doesn't account for saying what's the best community college it nearby. Does not. It's you, only four years. Right. Yeah. 
is there a metric to find out the ability to transfer in to some of these schools? I wonder if that would be interesting because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are starting to say, okay, first of all, the entire world's waking up to the for-profit scam, not every single one, but there is a lot of scamming going on there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, instead of going to a for-profit college, why don't you just go to community college for two years and then hopefully get a associate's degree and transfer into your public school? Right. Is that a way to measure mobility as well? This is a great question. And a lot of people have recommended the sort of two and two um, method to save some money because community colleges are much more affordable. It really depends on the college and and in some cases or more broadly the state. Um, I know I I grew up in Florida and Florida has a very um, well-built transfer system. So it's much easier to, you might not get the four-year college that you want, but you are guaranteed if you earn your associate's degree and meet other GPA requirements, you're guaranteed to be admitted into one of uh, Florida's four-year state Mm. universities. That model, and, and there are other states. It's not the only one. California, I think, also maybe Michigan is is coming to mind as one of the states. So there are some states who've done really well at this and have been used as examples for how all states, because it really shouldn't. The the truth is, in some places, it can be like a bureaucratic nightmare. Mm. You you lose some credits. You have to you have to really be an advocate advocate for yourself in terms of transferring, getting into the classes you need, making sure you're getting credit for everything, and you didn't you know pay tuition dollars for classes that you can't use at the new school. That's not to say it's impossible. It's just you have to be well organized and you have to be, you know, very self-driven. Interesting. Um, community colleges are a great thing for our country, but they are largely under-resourced. So you, you're not going to get, in most cases, you're not going to get the same, you know, one-on-one attention that you might get at a smaller four-year college. What's your, your best tips for someone's listening and their kids are going to be, you know, juniors right now mm-hmm. and they're getting ready for this process should they go through this whole list right now? What, where, how should they start? I think it doesn't hurt to go through the list junior or even earlier to just start getting some ideas in your, about what type of school you might want to go to. What are the what are the good schools? If you know what you want to study, that's always helpful, though. No, no disrespect for people who don't, because I, I'm on the team that like we shouldn't force 17 or 18 year olds to figure out what career they want. But they have to go to code camp. immediately, <laughs> Right. Um, but if you do know, if you are one of those people that knows it, it, that is really helpful because there are certain colleges that you maybe have never heard of and yet are one of the best colleges in the country for pre-vet or for, I don't know, circus arts or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you that you want to study. I would start building a very loose list based on your academic interests and then certainly what you can afford or what you think you can afford. And again, that's where it's really important not to focus on those sticker prices, but to look at the net price and how much the average grant and how many students, what percentage of students um, tend to get financial aid at that school. So. It's, we have a lot of that on our website. You can also go to collegedata.org, which has a lot of that information. What's that, collegedata.org? It's basically like a data trove of information by colleges. They have stuff on on um, finances and also, I, I think, like class sizes, a lot of things that graduation rates, which is one thing that's like the single most important thing you can look at to um, determine the quality of a college. <laughs> Caitlin Mulher, uh, we started the program and we said, what was your best financial decision? Mm-hmm. What was your worst? Uh, this one's actually easy for me, easier than the best. Um, I I have been known in the past to put too much money on my credit card without a plan to play it off. What? Not I know, you. I know. Totally I, not you. Yeah. It was it was a dumb decision as a very recent college grad, though not that uncommon, I think, a lot of people a do. Youth, <laughs> a youthful error yes. to be corrected immediately. 
Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. So everyone go to money.com and go to the college ranking survey. Yeah, and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear feedback. Caitlin, great to have you. Thank you. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for your question of the week. Yes, you, the listener, you can ask us questions. I am a certified financial planner. In fact, I'm the senior CFP board ambassador. Mark's taking all the CFP classes right now. So he's a CFP wannabe, sort of, kind of. And we want to help you out. Why don't you do this? Shoot us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com and we will arrange to get you on the air. That's what we did with Lynn from St. Louis. She is up next. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to Better Off. What can I do for you? Hi, uh, Jill. Um, I just have a quick question about um, retirement. Okay. Um, so I recently acquired two new um, jobs at some community colleges adjuncting, and they offer two different retirement plans each. Okay. Yeah, of course, right? Um, it can't be yeah, easy. It can't be easy. No. Uh-huh. Um, I also have um, a, a little bit of background, if that helps. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, so I have already a 401k through a different employer, but I don't make very much money, um, but I do put 30% currently into it. Mm-hmm. How much and is then, in there right now? A little over 20000 Great. And you're still contributing right. to that? Yes, and okay. I will continue at least to put that away. Got it. <laughs> and then in addition, I put the full amount into an IRA, which I do a backdoor Roth, about 32 in that. Okay. And for that, you're putting 5,500 in and then converting it. And so wait a second, are you married? Yes. <laughs> How much do you guys make? Um, probably together somewhere close to 300. Okay, that's you see how I I just snuck you into that. Do you know why? Because I'm sitting here and I'm listening. I'm like, adjunct professor, why is she doing a backdoor Roth? Right? Because I thought, why not just do a Roth? And now we know that you're married to someone who makes good chunk of change. So that's great. Yeah. So you're that's why you're doing the backdoor. Twenty grand in the four hundred one K, you're converting you're you're doing your, your backdoor IRA, fifty five hundred a year and you're converting. So that's mm-hmm. pretty fabulous. I'm sorry, how much money did you have in that IRA? About you said thirty something? Um, about thirty two. Um I started it a little bit sooner than I did the four hundred one K. Okay, great. And I presume that your um spouse is maxing out his or her plan? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, he also has um a four hundred one K which is probably close to what we make a year. Um, And then he um, also maxes out a backdoor Roth as well. So he's putting in 18 grand into his 401k and also doing his 5,500. So that makes it beautiful. Okay, great. Yeah. So what's going on in terms of the, so you're going to have this 401k. What is the, what's the company that's the Um, 401k provider? Oh, so that is Mass Mutual, and mm-hmm. I've picked out um, mutual funds that are low fund or, or low fee mutual funds and that kind of thing. So I, I've taken Great. care of the lower fees on that. Good. Okay. My question is, um, because I have all of these other retirement accounts, mm-hmm. do I really need to set up <laughs> the 403B and the 459, uh, uh, 457? Sorry. Okay. So... Okay, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, all right? I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, You're a grown-up, and you don't have to. But how much are you earning for these two new jobs? Between eight and 9,000 per semester each. 
Okay. And this is just, in other words, I know adjunct is so hard. So is it just like you get a semester at a time or do you know you're going to get a full academic year? How is it? How, what's your contract right now? Um, it is contracted by semester, but mm-hmm. um, I am in a field, um, I'm in mathematics, so I'm in a field that is, they need teachers. So I'm pretty, not guaranteed a spot, but I, I'm pretty safe to get something like that every semester. Okay. And is your ideal to have a full-time, you know, job somewhere so you can get rid of this whole adjunct nonsense? Or do you like having this flexibility? I actually really like the flexibility. My other job, I work from home. Mm. um, And I have a daughter who is two. So it works really well because if I want to go on a long road trip, I can just go. <laughs> yeah, that totally um, makes sense to me. I get it. Yeah. Essentially, though, you're going to look, it looks to me like you can, you know, have, I don't know, $32,000 a year on both of these. How about this? What are the the options available for each of the plans? So in academia, you know, they don't usually have like tons and tons of choices, but who are the sponsors of each of these plans that you have access to? Um, so I haven't received the information for one of the colleges, but for the other one, it's TIAA Craft. Okay. So by the way, I love TIAA Craft. I love it. Okay. It's cheap. And um, and I know you're very young, but I'll tell you one thing that could be interesting about using the, the TIAA Craft. Would you dis- describe yourself as an investor? Like, you, would you say you're aggressive? Would you say I'm generally growth? Like, what's your allocation split? Um, I personally would like to be very conservative, but I go against my own judgment, and um, I'm probably much more moderate and um, mostly in stocks, actually, so probably much more aggressive than I personally okay. <laughs> like to be. Okay, so you, if you're somebody who likes a really, like, something solid, I want to tell you that TIAA CREF, which is usually only offered for nonprofits and hospitals or universities, is a phenomenal product. And the reason is that the TIAA side of it is a fixed annuity. And if you're boring, and I am boring too, man, I love that boring (laughs) stuff. Um, What you get out of TIAA is a much higher interest account that's boring. So one of the things that you could consider is to say, I know it's a pain in the neck, but if you were to, you know, take your 16 grand that you're going to make or 17 grand and you say, you know what, I am going to use this because the TIAA portion is better than any bond fund that I'm going to get, better than any other fixed account. That's going to be where I'm going to do my fixed investing and you could just use it for that and and, and it's easy. And if you're going to stay in academia, the thing that's kind of funky about TIAA CREF is that no Joe Schmo can get it. Like you have to have access to it and you're probably going to have access to it. So I would say that if you... Even if you just did anything else, I would just use the TIAA portion. And, you know, I guess the other piece of this is if the other organization also has TIAA, you know, eventually you probably could like sort of collapse them into one rollover account. I think it's a good structure. So even though it's a pain in the butt, it's certainly better than mass mutual. Like I would almost say to you that I would prefer you, you it will be cheaper and more and, and you'll probably do better if you had the you know total investment dollars for retirement using TIAA Cref than Mass Mutual, okay. So and the Cref side, there's a Cref stock, there's a Cref stock index. It's this really cheap. So I wouldn't just blow it off just because it's paying the neck. 
Fair enough. All right. So so go for it. And um, and, you know, when you get the other plan and you find out what the availability is, then why don't you just give a shout back? And if not, you know, what you could do is if, if that plan looks good, you could use it or maybe you just say, ah, you know, I'll bump up my contribution to the TIAA or to the uh, the 401k and bump that up and just do what your cash flow can absorb. OK. Make sense? Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Go check out the Money 2017-2018 Best Colleges for Your Money. Build your own rankings. Figure out where you want to go. Stop wasting your money on other rankings. This is the one to go to. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. BetterOff is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.